with the resurrection, the absolute importance of the resurrection. So I want to start, it says 54 to 58, I want to start back up a little bit to verse 50 because there are just some things that you need to see here. What a hope. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. It's a reference to death. But we, Christians, will all be changed in a moment. Very interesting word in the Greek. It's the word from which we get our word Adam. With the beat of a heart, an electron travels around a proton some nine quadrillion times. That's a short span of time. Paul says, in that, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For the perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Father, I pray now that you would help me as I seek to communicate the truth of your word about the power of resurrection to these beloved people here at Heritage. Lord, may it change our lives radically and eternally. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. This last week I heard from a cousin of mine who is in Hawaii. This is not a picture of him. It's a stock photo. I got it off, but I, I just had to put that up there. They're having a great time. And I started thinking, uh, you know what, if you watch any TV and you have some of these ads that are on TV for going on these vacations, sandals and other resorts and things like that, and sometimes the thought is left. In fact, I, I, I wonder if sometime back there there was actually an ad said, this is as good as it gets. Well, it's not as good as it gets, but it's good. Now, please don't hear me right out of the chute saying that I'm against good vacations and good meals and things like this, but I, I love what C.S. Lewis, who had a way of communicating, said about these things that are gifts from God that God has given us. Our Heavenly Father has provided many delightful ends for us along our journey but he takes great care to see that we do not mistake 
any of them for home. People are searching for home. People are looking for meaning. The next vacation. The next job sometimes. The next relationship. The next church. But these will not ever ultimately fill the void because they are not home. Let me quote another, even more ancient theologian by the name of Augustine. He said these words, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they learn to rest in thee. Isn't that what the Bible says? God has planted eternity in our hearts. And so you see that there is a restlessness in every person who thinks about life and death. We're not home yet. And when we arrive there, where will home be? I want you to ask that question for yourself. When you arrive there, where will home be? You see, most people don't want to think about death. I've got a couple of more quotes. In addition to the excellent quotes that are in your worship guide, these are from men, one, questionable as to whether or not he was a true follower of Christ, a true believer. The other one, from a man who was definitely not. But there are only a few things that are certain in life. You ever wonder where that quote originated? Ben Franklin. He said, I love this, our new constitution is now established. And it has appearance that promises permanency. But... In this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. And we know all about that from this last week. But there was another guy who wrote, a man who was a decidedly against the things of God. And he wrote this, but I, I want you to look at this quote now. And I want you to, to see from this quote that this man is partially correct but he is mostly wrong in his quote. And I want you to try to figure out where is he partially correct and where is he mostly wrong. He said, Sigmund Freud said this, and finally there is the painful riddle of death for which no remedy at all has yet been found nor probably ever will be. Where was he partially Correct? And where was he mostly wrong? Well, we'll come back to that. Here is my message to you on this Resurrection Sunday morning. Wouldn't it be tragic? Wouldn't it be sad if you left here today with the opportunity to get it right, to, to know where your home is going to be eternally, but you didn't? Wouldn't it be sad, even tragic, if you got, like Freud did, half of it right but missed the most important part? You know the old sayings, a miss is as good as a mile. Close, but no cigar. And close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. We might add nuclear weapons to that, too. So where do we turn for the truth? We take our cue from God's Word, the Bible. We believe here that this is God's inspired, authoritative Word to all 
men. And so let's look back and see some things that we just read. Three truths that I want to share with you that grow out of this passage of Scripture. Now the first one you see in your outline is simply this. Death is certain, but victory is possible. We go back to verse 54. Now I purposely, I, I wrote this down and put it in the notes, and then I looked at it and I said I need to change that, but I purposely left it. I'm going to change it in a minute. Can you see where it needs to be changed? Death is certain. But victory is possible. Why is death certain in all of life? Is it just a part of our evolutionary process? How did entropy, that is decline and disintegration and death, get written into the code? Again, the Bible, the truth of God, tells us about death. Death, separation from the body, from the soul, And it tells us that death is the sad and bitter fruit of sin, our first parents' sin, and our sin. Paul said these words in the book of Romans, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, but he doesn't leave us off the hook because he says, For all sin. So let's go back to Sigmund Freud. In this, he was partially correct. Death is certain, and there is pain in death. But contrary to modern theories and even some modern religious teachings, death is a biblical, inescapable, painful, and even dreadful fact. The Bible even says, and people know it to be true, no matter how we try to dress it up, that death is an enemy, the final enemy. Have you, let me ask you this, have you thought about your own death recently? I hope you have. There are some people in our church that have experienced the sting, we'll come to that in just a minute, the sting of death even this last week. But for the Christian, there is something that Paul says in this passage of Scripture. For the Christian, death is swallowed up in victory. Now, that's an incredible picture, swallowed up. And the imagery comes from the same experience of Pharaoh's army going into the Red Sea, following the Israelites, and being swallowed up by the water. Death is absolutely swallowed up in victory. And that's why, going back to Freud and what he says, there will never be a remedy. What do you say to that? There is a remedy. He went wrong in this because he didn't look to God. And so that's why I would like you to correct on your sermon outline. You can just go ahead and correct it, cross through, possible, and put, now, if you're a Christian, if you're not a believer, a follower of Christ today, keep that word certain intact. We need to come back to that. But if you're a follower of Christ, here's what you need to put down. Death is certain, but victory is also certain. You see, death's victory has been overcome by Christ's 
victory on the cross and in his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. Jesus defeated the devil and death on the cross. Now, the victory that the Christian is not only immediate in one sense, but it is also yet future. There is a now and a not yetness to the reality of our victory over death. In other words, those who die in Christ will not come back right now. In spite of books, to the contrary, the scriptures are clear that someday they will. Now there's a second thing that we need to say. Death has been defeated and the sting has been removed in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. It's almost as if we can look death in the face and we can say, take that, death. You have lost your sting. You know, for years people have railed against the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's just incredible. Because the the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most attested to historical events in all of human history. In fact, in this chapter, let me just guide you back to verse 20. And, And the importance, we want to inject this here, the importance of the resurrection for us as followers of Christ. Uh, Let's back up from verse 20 to verse 14, uh, where Paul says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. I might as well just shut up and sit down. If the resurrection of Jesus is not real. Now look at this. Not only that, your faith, your faith is in vain. But down in verse 20, he says this. Look, folks, it's not just your faith. It's also the fact of the resurrection. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In fact, if you go back earlier in this chapter, you will find at least four times when it says, Jesus appeared. Jesus appeared to different people at different times. Upwards of 500 people saw him at once. The resurrection of Christ is an absolute fact upon which we rest our faith. Josh McDowell, some of you know that name, some of you have loved his books, but he said, as only Josh can say it, I believe that many of the people who came up with these theories about, you've heard some of the theories, haven't you? The swoon theory and the fact that uh, uh, the disciples stole the body of Jesus. Yeah, right. Or that he swooned and then was revived in the coolness of the tomb and was able to not only push away the stone, but also to overwhelm all of those Roman soldiers and get out. And so Josh says, I believe that many of the people who came up with these theories must have two brains, one lost and the other out looking for it. (laughs) Historians, listen, historians have to become anti-historical to invent 
some of their ideas. It's taken the sting. It's an old story. Heard it on a tape years and years ago. Anybody familiar with a guy by the name of Frank Peretti? Wrote a couple of books. His Present Darkness, some other books, great books. But he, he told a story, and it was a marvelous story. He said one day a, a family was driving down the road. It was a nice, warm summer day, as it will be this afternoon. All the windows in the car were down, and all the, the kids were in the back seat, and the parents were driving, and all of a sudden, a bee flies into the window. And it starts buzzing around. The children are in, in, in the back seat, and they're, they're, they're terrified. Dad, Dad, the, the, the bee's going to sting me. And ultimately, the bee flies up, and he starts bumping up against the windshield, and the kids are still terrified. And so the father does this. He reaches out. He's still driving. He doesn't lose control. He reaches out when the bee is in reach, and he grabs the bee in his hand. Frank Peretti said about that time, boom, and the father could feel it. The bee had stung him. Now, you know what happens to a, to a honeybee when it stings, don't you? It's got a barbed stinger, and it remains in the flesh, and so the bee flew away. And again, it was buzzing around the kids, and the kids were saying, Dad, Dad, the bee's loose again. It's going to sting me. It's going to sting me. And the dad said, no, no, that bee can't sting you. In fact, it's going to die in just a moment because I took the sting in my hand. And that's what Jesus did. There's not a person in this room, if you're old enough, that you haven't been devastated by the loss of a loved one in death. Jesus took the sting. We've still got to deal with death now, but he put, took the sting of death because he defeated. Now, death can flutter around and it may terrify us, but know that because of Jesus taking the sting, there is a last truth that I want to share with you. Being in Christ is our only certain hope of victory over death. The hope of resurrection gives us incredible encouragement for living. Paul again says, therefore my beloved brethren, he's putting it to this in, after all of this about the resurrection, be steadfast. The only way you can do that is to be in Christ. Be immovable. The only way you can do that is to be in Christ. Abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So Paul praises God for the victory in Jesus Christ. And by the way, so should we. Jesus has taken the sting out of death for all of us. And you and I can have stability in a very unstable world. I don't know about you, but there have been times where there has been a, a, a tragic loss or an overwhelming incident like in Sri Lanka. 
The question has crept through my mind. In fact, it's escaped my lips as Jan and I have talked about some of those things. How in the world do people do that? And I could look out and see the faces of some of you with incredible loss. The question is there, how, how do they do that? How do they stay steadfast in the Lord? How do they not throw their faith aside? How do they remain immovable? We can have stability in a very unstable world by trusting in Jesus Christ. It's that simple and that profound. Not even death will keep us from abounding in, always giving ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that our toil is not in vain. In other words, you and I can have purpose and even success in life if we will define it correctly. What is our purpose and what is success for the Christian life? It is glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. Physical death is certain. There's nothing barring the return of the Lord Jesus before you die that you can do to stop that. Someday, Christian, when Christ returns, your body will be raised to eternal life with God or raised to judgment and eternal death in hell. That, too, is a certainty. But as we've tried to say here today, eternity in hell is an option today. Yesterday at 12 o'clock, straight up, 12 o'clock, the sirens blew. The tornado sirens. Did, did anybody hear them? We, we live pretty close to one. We live so close to one, in fact, that if I'm working outside, I do one of a couple of things. I either put my hands over my ears, literally it's that loud, it's, just, it's piercing, or I go inside. But all of you know what the sirens are for. They are a warning. It's a test of a warning. Now, this last week we had some bad weather, and I just want you to imagine for a minute that bad weather could be coming. And let's say on one particular evening when the skies are dark and foreboding and the lightning is flashing and the rain is coming, that, that you go onto your television set and Mike tells you there's a, an F5 coming. Seek shelter. You don't particularly like what Mike is saying. So you flip channels. Lo and behold, there's Gary. An F5 is coming. Seek shelter. And you don't like what he's saying, so you flip channels. And there's Damon saying, an F5 is coming. Folks, you will not survive this. Seek shelter. Do you know what those guys are doing? They're trying to warn you. Why would you lose your life by not heeding the clear warning. We mentioned it a few minutes ago. Someday the trumpet is going to blow. Folks, 
it is going to be so deafening. Most of the people in this room are going to say, wow, it's time. But there will be some perhaps in this room who are going to want to stop their ears. They're going to want to run inside. They are going to ask for the rocks to fall on them because they know that they have heard the truth today and they've turned it away. By the way, if you're thinking, Friday night at our Good Friday service, I talked about the thief on the cross. I've heard people say, Pastor, do you believe in deathbed conversions? And I say, absolutely I do. Well then, what I'm going to do is I'm going to be like the thief on the cross. Which one? He was pardoned in the last seconds of his life. There is only one such instance in Scripture like that, so that none may despair. I believe in deathbed conversions. But there is only one example like that, so that none might presume. You listen to this. I I can't even remember where I got this quote, but it is outstanding. Sincere repentance is never too late, but late repentance is seldom sincere. Why will you die? Why will you perish when God has provided the shelter from the coming storm. His name is Jesus who died on Calvary's cross for sinners like you. There is no one hopeless here today. He was buried, he really died, and he was raised on the third day. And if you trust in Jesus Christ, you have a shelter from the storm. Father, I thank you now that as we continue to worship, may the words of these songs, just as the word from your scriptures, probe our hearts, help us to see, help us to come to grips with our own condition before you. If there is anyone outside of Christ, Lord, let them see you, a great God of glory, through Jesus offering a shelter. In the finished work of Christ on the cross and his death, his burial, his resurrection from the dead. Please, God, don't let them leave today without responding to the work that's going on in their hearts. Lord, for those of us who know you, we pray that the, that the message of resurrection, taking the sting of death away, would help us to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.